I saw the signs coming and I was like, I instantly called my psychiatrist. I was like, I need to get back on meds. I'm going to go to therapy. Like I'm going to do things to make sure I don't spiral because I really was spiraling. So did all those things, felt better. But then I went back to work at around six weeks postpartum, part-time, just eat, stipping my, putting my feet in because it actually gave me a sense of identity back. Mm. I felt like myself. I wasn't accustomed to the new title or role of mother. Like I had this child and I had no idea what to do with them. Like it, it just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Welcome to Marketing Unfiltered, where I ditch the highlight reel and share the unfiltered truth about how to get clients online. The good, the bad, and the OMG, thank God I'm not the only one. I'm Sophia Para. let's dive in. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Marketing Unfiltered. Today on the show, we have Rachel Joy. And actually, funny enough, that is not her. I just remembered that's not her real name. I thought her real name was Rachel Joy because I don't know, that's what it is all over social media, but actually, it's not. And I don't know what her real name is. So I find it really happy that I just said we have Rachel Joy on the show. (laughs) Either way, she does respond to Rachel Joy. She knows a lot of people call her Rachel Joy, so she rolls with it. But Joy is actually not her real name, which I find to be a funny fact. But today on the show, we have Rachel Joy. Rachel is actually a former coach of mine. She helped me with some business things back when I was in a mastermind. She was assigned to me as a coach, and she was the best coach for me. She built her business from the inside out, uh, meaning she did the inner work on herself and then built her business after having done some inner work and really communicated that value to me and shifted how I approach things, which uh, some of you might find shocking, right? Because I talk a lot about how I have imposter syndrome and all kinds of anxieties and all these things that I navigate. And and I, I talk about how I don't do work on that nearly enough. And I've even said this in this episode with Rachel. But the truth of the matter is I do a lot more work on it today than I did a year ago. So even though it's mega baby steps for me, I'm still definitely thinking about this more. And how I approach things has dramatically shifted since working with Rachel. So on this episode, we dive into topics like motherhood and business. I freaking loved her take on this. She actually has a three-year-old. So she's just come out of that really difficult period where your entire life changes and you kind of are not just figuring out how to be a parent, but you're kind of figuring yourself out in this new reality. So I loved her take on this. She also talks about retiring her husband and what that did for their marriage. Hint, hint for them. It didn't work out so well. And I also found this to be interesting because you never hear perspectives like this. Her whole story from being in rehab at 19 years old, how she overcame anxiety and went on to build a thriving business despite it, signs that inner work are holding you back, which I found particularly useful, plus her go-to methods for moving through anxiety and doing the damn thing, and so much more. Honestly, we really went in a lot of different directions, but we really went deep on the topics. Rachel is transparent. She's experienced and she truly does the work. And what I find hilarious is, like I said, I know her from a business perspective. So we're going to have to have her on in a future episode to talk about all things business because she's also great at that stuff too. But her practice is to address the internal work and build out from there. And if we're using her as an example, she has absolutely done that. So if you struggle with anxiety, or any kind of inner trials, this is a great episode for you. Rachel is a master at NLP, hypnotherapy, subconscious reprogramming, and she is a business coach. She's also the founder of the Total Recovery Practitioner Certification. So if you want to do the work she does for her clients, she can certify you in this work. I'll drop all of the ways you can learn from her from Rachel, plus her juicy, juicy gift in the show notes, because this conversation is definitely just the tip of the iceberg. All righty, let's meet Rachel. Do you want, do you listen to Skinny Confidential? I don't, but I should. I mean, I have in the past, like here and there, but yeah, I haven't consistently or like religiously now. Well, that's exactly what they, I love that podcast, by the way. I think you should listen to it. But I, that's exactly, they absolutely have. And I've listened to them for a while and they have started doing this where they just like click record and they don't know what's going to happen. But I'm like, oh, I've started doing that because this is the thing. You, you start a podcast and it's like sometimes you have a really meaningful conversation before you even hit record. <laughs> yes. It's so true. 
It's so true. And like for you and me, when's the last time we connected? Like you were coaching me, wasn't it? Face, it would have been coaching you. So when did you move? Yeah. It would have been just before you moved. When did when Yeah, it would have been you know? t- 2020. Well, I technically moved in 2020, but I had visa issues. So I was back and forth. So uh, 2021 is when it was official where I didn't have to like leave the country every couple months. Yeah. So I guess it was 2021. Oh my gosh. Two years. How? Probably exactly two years actually. Cause I know it was like coming up to yeah. spring or summer that you moved, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And we were coaching during like May, June, July, I think. Yeah. Weren't we? Yeah. Cause I just remember I it was really that- freaking hot. I think we had one session, one or two sessions once you were in London and then that was that was it. That's yeah, right because the time zone, we had to navigate time zone. I remember that. Oh my gosh, has life how has life changed since then? Has there have there been a lot of shifts? <laughs> oh my god. I I yes, I'm a completely different person in who I am. And how I run my business, all the things. Because I was like, I was in my first year of being a mom at that point. So I have a three-year-old now, and I've learned a lot about myself. And just naturally, your values change as you become a mother. Like you go through this little—I don't want to say identity crisis, but you do go through this. um, You just become a different person. You just change. Things change, and so yeah, I was a completely different person. Yeah, I can imagine that. You know, right now, Bradley and I are talking about – I wonder how he'd feel about me talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> <He don't care. laughs> but we're like definitely having that conversation about kids. Yeah, it is exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking because I feel like I'm scared of that identity thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm feeling very – I don't know. I think that I have seen a lot of examples of people that made children their whole purpose for living. And I don't think I'm that kind of a person. <laughs> and I think that I might feel pressure. I'm one of those people that like is very as a people pleaser. I have to navigate that yeah. very consciously. And I just have this feeling that I'm going to try to like meet other people's expectations of what they think a mom should be. But then I yeah. want to. I want to have a business. I want to have a huge business, in fact. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I just really scared about that, even though I want kids, even though I can say I want kids. It's really funny you say that because I felt very much the same. So I was like, I would judge people for having like boy mom in their bio or Stacey's mom (laughs) forever. I'm like, is that like all you are? Like, how can you yeah. associate your identity to just being a mother? But yeah. now that I am a mom and I've embraced the title, not that I do that, but I can understand why and how people do that. And yeah. I too want a massive business, have had a massive business and everything. Yep. But I will be honest, that identity shift, that's where I honestly don't care about business anymore. Like I love my business. Mm. I'm happy I have my yes. business. But nothing will fulfill me or come be more important that to me than my children. And yep. I get to have a separate identity too. Like my children are not my identity. They're just a part of who I am. And one of the hats I wear is a mother. And that's the most yeah. desirable hat that I have. Yeah. And do you feel like that separation, like that, like kind of, yeah, it's not a, it's my life isn't all about business, but then I also like, don't feel like my kids are my identity. Do you think that's actually made you better at business? Like, do you feel like your business has positively been impacted? I mean, yes and no. So yes, because I've been able to become more productive and intentional with what I'm putting my time and energy in on business. Yeah. Uh, No, because I have seen an income dip, but that's also because of how I choose to show up in my family. Like I do want to give more time to my family. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, I'm a completely different person because before you probably knew me. I was one of those like, what do you want to call them? Boss babes claiming, making all those money claims and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was like, but what's 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 really yeah. important here? Like, it's not the money that's important here. It's yeah. the freedom that your business gives you to live the life that you want. And that if I'm able to do that, then great. Do I really need to be making a million and a half dollars a year? No, I can stay at this level and still have the life I want. And I don't need to preach that or prove that to anybody. I'd much rather just have my cozy little home and with yeah. my family and make sure that I'm teaching my children, plural, because we, we want another one one day very yeah. soon, but um, teaching my children 
how to be healthy, happy, wealthy, yeah. successful, confident, well-adjusted little humans. And that actually is a scientific change in your brain when you become a mom. So that's like the identity shift. Women's brains are actually, I don't know the full science behind it, but we hormonally, I think it is, we learn to not learn. We biochemically start focusing on our family more than our career or business because our children are literally it's our job to make sure they survive, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of the shifts that happened over the past few years. Oh my gosh. Did was there did, was there a moment that you like it hit you, you realized like, wow, I really want to make a shift. Yeah. Like this isn't how I want. Really what what happened there? Yeah, so um okay, so I suffered from postpartum and when I I I saw the signs. So, mm-hmm. you know me, audience doesn't know me yet, but I have a history anxiety and depression. And I knew that that could very likely be a venerable time for me because it is for many women in general. So I saw the signs coming. I was like, I instantly called my psychiatrist. I was like, I need to get back on meds. I'm going to go to therapy. Like I'm going to do the things to make sure I don't spiral because I really was spiraling. So did all those things, felt better. But then I went back to work at around six weeks postpartum part-time, just stepping my, putting my feet in because it actually gave me a sense of identity back. Mm. I felt like myself. I wasn't accustomed to the new title or role of mother. Like I had this child and I had no idea what to do with him. Like it, it just scared the shit out of me. So yeah. So I went back to work and work was flourishing and thriving. And I felt really good in my work. It gave me a sense of peace and happiness that I actually went overboard and started focusing on my work more than my family without even noticing it. Basically, I had a traumatic birth and I was numbing my pain from my trauma with my work. And I only saw it about a year and a half later when I woke up because my husband at that point, work was so good that we, quotation, retired the husband. He came home. He took care of the baby. I went back to work, which I do not recommend, even though all boss babes will say how glamorous it is to make so much money that you can have your husband be home and you can live your life. It's bad for your marriage. Don't do it. Mm. <laughs> Let your man be the man. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah. So at that point, I was working. Hubby's home with baby. And I'm just like, he's seeing, even though I'm home and I still am very much a part of my son's life. Mm-hmm. He's ha- just having more time with him. And he's starting to get to this point where he's walking and talking and really coming awake to the world. And I'm like, holy shit, I have a child. Like I have a child who needs a present mother, not mm-hmm. just a mother who is loving and nurturing and makes a ton of money. So that's yeah. when I was like, okay, I actually want to take a step back. I, I I will have my business. I will continue to have my business, but I want Daniel to go back to work. I don't want the pressure of feeding and supplying for our family at all times. I yeah. want more polarity in our relationship and our marriage. And I definitely want to be more intentional with how I show up for my son. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's really powerful. Did, was Daniel happy to hear that? Like, was he like, "Yeah, this feels good for me too"? Or like, how was that conversation? At first, no, because mm-hmm. it actually put Daniel a bit into like a depression where he kind of lost his sense of identity. His identity was Nate's dad, um, yeah. and he didn't have any work history at that point. Like before the pandemic, he had a company, a, a residential contracting company, mm-hmm. where. He had a business partner and they just didn't see eye to eye. So Daniel was closing the business. He wanted to expand. Partner didn't. Um, so he walked away. This was just before the pandemic, like that winter. And then during the pandemic, he was going to – just before the pandemic, he was going to get like a job from a recruiting company. He was deeply unfulfilled. Um, he was leaving before Nate was waking up as an infant and coming home as I was in this rocking chair putting Nate to sleep. So he was having no time with Nate. And I said, well – you know, you're not getting paid a lot of money. You're not having any time with your family. This isn't the vision we wanted. So come home and whatever. So he came home, but he wasn't doing anything all day other than taking care of Nate. And then Nate went into daycare. And so he was literally home doing nothing all day. So he got really unmotivated, lost his sense of self and identity. And then um, it took him some time. He was like, I told him you got to get a job. It took him about six months of applying and not finding anything because he had a business formally. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. Until actually, to be honest, it was a long journey. But until last fall, 
he finally was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to start a renovation company all over again, except this time by myself. And yeah. from the time he did that, he it, his business has been like thriving. Oh thriving. my god! So I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. It's really fascinating the impact that your identity has on your work and like how you show up, right? And it's so and just like your your overall mindset. And I know you are like queen of this. I was going to say boss of this, but I felt like given our conversation, <laughs> like like we should change the wording. You're just like queen of this, right? And I, you know, I I told you this this morning that I did a deep dive into your content and I learned a lot about you that I actually wasn't even aware of. And like, I, I knew, I know about the healing work and the transformation work that you do. And I know that you are brilliant at it. And I also knew about your anxiety, but I did not know that at 19 years old, you were actually in rehab. And I'm sure, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but is that where this journey around personal development began or had you always been interested? Um, I would say that was the catalyst. Yeah. So I have been in therapy on and off from the time I was 11. There's a lot of dysfunction in my family. <laughs> and so on and off until the time I was 11, just my anxiety was presenting at certain points in my life. Yeah. But um, at 19, that was the point where I just couldn't handle my anxiety, but more so my depression. It was it was concurrent disorders. and. Mm-hmm. I was more or less, I would say I was, even though anxiety showed up in my day-to-day life, I was more or less depressed. Mm -hmm. I was very sad, just didn't love who I was, didn't love life. Um, Yeah, it was a very dark time. And at that point, I was like, I'm 19. I'm still alive for some reason. Like, there's got to be some bigger meaning here. Like, I'm not meant to just exist and be freaking miserable for the rest of my life. So either I'm 19 and life's about to get really, really, really good, or this is it. And if this is it, I don't want to be here. So I decided that it was the first option. This has got to be a really good sign that it's going to get really good. And yeah, thankfully, my mom was well connected in the industry. She has her own recovery journey. And so I just kind of said, Hey mom, I, 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 I like, I was lying to her about stuff. Like my mom knew what was up. Mm. And so I was like, I know I have greatness within me. I want to be great. I just don't know how to be great. Like I'll never forget those words. Like that's exactly what I said to her. And then like, Three days later, I was on a plane to Salt Lake City, Utah, the land of treatment centers to uh, (laughs) get well. And that's how it all started. Wow. And were like, I don't know, were you in rehab for like an addiction or was it just is, I don't know much about rehabs. Can you just go to rehab to treat anxiety? Yeah, it's really, really interesting you say that. So this is the thing that people misunderstand Mm -hmm. about rehab or addiction in general. Oftentimes, people think it's the drugs or the alcohol. Yeah. And they think that you have to be so far down, like you're either having DUIs or you're overdosing in order to go to rehab. And while that's the case for some Mm -hmm. people, if you take away the drugs, what's left? Mm. The person. And what's left with the person is all their thoughts, their feelings, their traumas, their beliefs about self and the world at large. So the drugs aren't actually the problem. The drugs are just their maladaptive coping mechanism that is not actually supporting them. And so I was, I went in being taught that I was an addict or an alcoholic. Um, Alcohol was my drug of choice and so was weed. But again, it was never so far down that it got me in trouble. I was never a bad person kid. I was just deeply emotionally troubled. Mm. Um, And so I learned through that experience that it wasn't my usage that was the problem. It was everything else about me and my life and how I was relating to myself in the world at large. That was the problem. And I had, um, you know, childhood trauma that was repressed for many, many years that it wasn't until 19 when I was in treatment that I had a safe enough space to really open up and share and experience and learn and grow and heal that component of myself that um, really made all the difference. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And also, first of all, it, I mean, wow, to be 19 and to make that decision. I, I look back at myself at 19 and I just think – I don't know that I would have been strong enough to make that decision. I would have just like ignored it or been like – 
I don't know. I, I would have picked frat parties over my own healing, to be <laughs> honest. And so I'm just so curious, like in your life, like I'm sure you had friends around you that were starting school yeah. and going after degrees and probably going to frat parties and joining sororities and like just like starting this whole different life. What was it like for yeah. you to be making such a different choice? And was that was that really hard? Like how, what was that experience like? <sighs> I mean – that's a great question. Was that hard? I mean, it was hard. I remember f- my mom flew me out there. And the day we land, we w- did some girl shopping. We went for dinner. I'm like, I don't need to go. I'm good. I just, we just need a vacation, mom. Like, let's go home. We're good here. <laughs> and I remember crying the whole car ride, car ride there. Um, so it was hard. It was definitely a hard decision. I was definitely scared. I definitely – there was a part of me that didn't want to let go of my old life. Yeah. But I knew it was what I had to do. I The reason I told my mom that I needed help was because, um, you know, life obviously wasn't working. But I had a, a flashback moment to my own childhood. So there was – I was at the point where it didn't matter how much I smoked, mm. like I just could not get high anymore. And I desperately, like that was my my freedom was was getting high. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to have to use something more. And I thought about it many, many, many times. And I had a brother who was actively using harder drugs at that time. And so I would go into his room a few times and I, he has this little goodie box and I'd open it when no one was home. And I'd be like, grabbing stuff, looking at, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And I knew that if I went down that road, like there was going to be no escape for me Mm -hmm. because I knew how much I loved alcohol and weed, that how it made me feel that if I do that, then it's kind of like game over. I might not ever come back Mm -hmm. from that lifestyle. Whereas I was the final time I was holding that little goodie bag and I was like, I just had this flashback to when I was – 11 years old. And my mom went to treatment at 11. And I was a very sheltered, good girl. Like I didn't even know what alcohol was Mm -hmm. until she went to treatment. I didn't know that it could be a bad thing for people or anything like that. So I had this flash forward, I guess you could say, not flashback, but flash forward of seeing me as a mother. And it's so weird to say this all the time because now I'm a mom. But I was like, I have to either do this now yeah, so I can have the life I want or I'm just going to keep perpetuating cycles of addiction and dysfunction in my family. And I don't want to hurt. I love my mom. We have a great relationship. We're business partners together, but I don't want to hurt my kids mm. the way that my mom's addiction hurt me. Wow. So that was the decision I made. Your awareness is seriously extraordinary. Like I just I truly don't feel like I had that awareness at that age. And like I'm just like really, really impressed and also so glad that you did take those steps of self-love because I think it's so easy not to choose that choice at that at that age, but like because mm-hmm. you did make that choice, like I would imagine that kind of I mean, now you have a life helping other people heal and transform and create these dream lives. So it's just like really incredible. Um, we'll get there. But as <laughs> a, you come out of rehab, right? Um, how long yeah. was that experience? So I thought I was going to be there for 30 days. I extended to 60. Oh my gosh, wow. And then I came home for a little bit, did a... Um, the pressure was on me to really, you know, start that 19, 20-year-old lifestyle yeah. of going to school, getting a degree, et cetera. I really wanted to stay there. But um, my parents wanted me to come home and go to school. So I came home, went to school for my first program, which was media arts. Um, and I was doing the dorm lifestyle thing. But again, not that empowering for a young, sober kid to be in, you know, a dorm room. So I, w- I was drinking and I relapsed and I, was, I wasn't living the sober lifestyle. I'm not sober today. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found a place of balance in my life, but at that point it was, yeah. that was what was like abstinence-based recovery only. Um, so I relapsed and I was just spiraling again and I ended up going back to Utah for sober living. So out, out, outpatient treatment essentially. And I was there for about nine months until my grandmother was on her deathbed Mm -hmm. and it was time for me to come home. And then at that point, that's when I started to really plant my feet back here and 
build the life I have now. So is that where, like, when did this idea, because for me, I didn't even think about starting a business until like way into my adult. Well, I mean, I don't know way. I was like 27. (laughs) But it's like, it didn't occur (laughs) to me. Like I was an actor. I was like living a completely different life. And I thought that was going to be my life forever. I was like, I want to be an actor. I was in New York City. So it's like, we're, we didn't know each other when I was in New York City, but like, you know, that th- that's what a lot of people do in New York, right? And yep. there was just this moment where I just suddenly, I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> but for you at that point, like, did you go to get a degree with something or did you just know right away I'm going to start a business or like, when did that no. come? Okay. So yes and no. So I have always had the entrepreneurial spirit in me. Yeah. I would always have little initiatives or like projects as a teen. I once created this initiative called Beads Against Weed to create like a a nonprofit. This was my first business. Oh my <laughs> a nonprofit organization. I didn't do anything with it, but the intention was to create a nonprofit organization to create funding for people like my brother and myself, young teens who needed treatment because the resources, at least here in Canada, were very slim. Yeah. And I had this really beautiful beading company donate me like a bunch of beads to make these hemp bracelets with beads and stuff. So yeah, that was my first initiative at like 14, 15 years old. Wow. <laughs> and then um, so I knew I wanted to do something in helping people. My biggest dream, and it still is, it's changed a little bit, but my biggest dream is to create enough money that I can create a nonprofit treatment center because so many people who need help, emotional, psychological help, treatment from addiction, eating disorders, trauma, whatever it is, they get sent to the hospital. Yeah. A psych ward. Now I have seen loved ones in a psych ward. I'm thankful enough that I never had to have that experience, but That psych ward is not conducive to healing. The way they speak to you, the way that they actually treat the problem, the environment itself is not supportive for your healing. It makes you feel like you're broken. There's something wrong with you. You're going to be locked up for life. Mm -hmm. You're, it's just, it's not nice. (laughs) Whereas I was lucky and fortunate enough to have the experience of feeling like I was at adult sleepover camp. There were horses. We got to go to the movies. I had my own bed, like completely different experience. And I'm very fortunate and grateful for that. So I want to be able that families or teens who don't have the money for that can find and access those types of experiences and resources. Because I do think that the treatment method that you put somebody in or the treatment environment that you put somebody in is part of the solution. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I like I have been in the quote unquote psych wards before. And what I feel is like there there's like um it's like they don't treat people with like dignity. You know what I mean? It almost yeah, feels like they exactly. treat them like patients. You're not a human. Yeah, yeah. And it's really um I've also seen treatment treatment centers just through family members and things like that. And you're right. It's like a completely different experience, right? So, I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm sure some treatment centers are better than others, but like the ones that I've seen are like very good, right? And yeah. also funny enough is there, I'm thinking about one in Utah. So I just think it's funny that <laughs> – so maybe it's Utah. <laughs> I told you it's the land of treatment centers. Apparently. I didn't actually know that that was a reputation of Utah. My sister actually lives there. And I oh, didn't cool. actually know – I mean – she talks about just how living there is like healing because it's just so freaking beautiful. And yes. she's like, it's like a healing experience to live there. And she's like, hiking yeah. is like a healing experience. Yeah. Um, and you actually do work there now, don't you? Don't you take, don't you do some retreats there? So, yeah. So a big part of my work is creating in-person experiences. Yeah. So yes, we do the virtual coaching and stuff, but I host a lot of retreats. And even within our certification, we bring people together because uh, through my experience, that's where the magic happens is in the rooms in treatment, yeah. like, experiential learning, whether it was 60 days in treatment, spiritual retreats, mastermind events, personal development events, all of my biggest breakthroughs have come from those places. Yes. Um, so... I'm very intentional with the experiences that I create for my clients and every, every action, every, everything has a reason to it that's like sacred to me because that's, I want them to feel that energy. So I take them, I usually host retreats in 
specific places that have a certain meaning to me. And so Utah, of course, is one of those because that's literally where I found myself. Yeah. I was going to say, is there something from your rehab experience that you've taken into how you run your business today? But it sounds like that's it. It's like creating those like in-person experiences because that's where you have those breakthroughs. Now, where does the... I'm so passionate about talking about anxiety because I don't know if you know this about me, but I was actually diagnosed with OCD when I was four years old. I've never shared that with anyone actually, especially not on a podcast. Well, congratulations. That's Thank you. That is. And it, but it's interesting. I don't, it, it didn't really impact my life. Like as I grew up, like I don't feel like it impacts my life today, but I do have memories <laughs> of being like four to eight where it really impacted me. Like even down to like washing my hands. My mom would tell me that I was like bawling my eyes out because I was could not scrub my hands hard enough. And I was like making my hands bleed and this and that because I was just like, they didn't feel clean. But I don't know what I, if I knew what clean meant. It just was like, it wasn't yeah. right, you know? And that yeah. was my very younger years, right? My mom actually chose not, like she spoke to it. We, I did go to therapy, but I should I should say I lived in the Philippines at the time because we lived in Southeast Asia my oh, whole cool. childhood. I don't did you not know that? Did I not tell you that? No, I didn't know yes, that. Yes, we lived in Southeast Asia my entire childhood. So from I was a baby, I was in Pakistan, then I was in the Philippines, then I was in Bangladesh and Thailand, and I graduated from high school in wow. Indonesia. And so this period of time I was probably in Pakistan and the Philippines. And so it's, it wasn't, especially back then, it wasn't really a place where you could like go to a therapist every week. It, what, it, we didn't have those yeah. kinds of resources. And I don't know that my mom trusted their medical care either. So it was a difficult mm-hmm. decision for her. And she's a very natural person. And, and so she didn't feel comfortable about some of the uh, medication that they wanted to put me on. Um, so she chose to try to do things naturally and I think I had a therapist and a healer and an energy worker. My mom was like very quote unquote woo woo ahead of her time. <laughs> and and long story short, I did grow out of it, at least I believe. However, it's I think what has happened is my OCD has turned into something else. Like I think I'm still I still have anxiety, but I think it's different. And I think it's probably high functioning. Like it doesn't, I wouldn't yeah. say it holds me back, but it definitely it impacts every day. Like I can feel it come up in really random times. All of that to say, I know anxiety is something that you have also struggled with in your past. Is this something that through the rehab experience and through your entire childhood, was it always there or did that come up as an adult? It was always there Mm -hmm. more so as a child than an adult. Like since treatment, I have been free of anxiety, to be honest. And that's amazing. Thankfully, it's because I have, I have tools now. Yeah. I have coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms. Um, but I have, uh, tools and I also have a completely different outlook. Like your neuroplasticity is a real thing. And so the more you work on yourself, like you said, I have awareness, right. And I have awareness because I practice that awareness constantly. Like even before my treatment method to have the self-awareness at 19, I had that self-awareness because I've been in therapy on and off from the time I was 11. I've been journaling almost every day from the time I was 10. So I had that awareness cultivated through that practice. And so the more you focus and commit to change work and healing, whatever idiosyncrasies you have, the easier your brain becomes more malleable to to rewire it and fire it in the direction that you want it to go. So for me, yes, it was always there, but I've been free from it for a very long time. There might be wow. moments where anxiety shows up, but it's literally fleeting. It's like a few minutes, maybe an hour at most, and I can bounce back just like that. Wow. Is there anything that you find tends to be a trigger or can it, is it random? It's random. I would say today, if my anxiety is to show up, mm-hmm. it's usually around money, mm. which I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Can't talk. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> money is very important to us. I'm very money focused. I'm also a Capricorn. So very money <laughs> and success oriented. <laughs> and I think that's because now that you asked me that question, I don't think it's so much about the money, but more about how entrepreneurs tend to fulfill their need for love and worth and success 
within their relationship of success and money. So I've always been an overachiever. That's kind of how I prove my worth. And that's something that I've really worked on releasing and reprogramming, but there's still little elements of me in that. So that's when and how it tends to show up for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was, and it's interesting because I, I can relate to that. The mo- money stuff brings up all kinds of things, right? I can. S- it's so deeply rooted. It's crazy. Yeah. It really, really is. It is. I was going to ask like, in terms of the tools that you mentioned, you're like, there's, cause I know a lot of people listening to this podcast suffer from anxiety. Um, yeah. Are there any, I'm sure you use so many different kinds of tools. Is there something that you feel like was particularly impactful that you, that you learned that, that you use on a daily basis still? Yeah. So it's interesting you say that because what I learned from my anxiety at the time wasn't any of the tools I use now. So at the time I think was more just, you know, that self-awareness, um, therapeutic questioning, being, being able to catch the thought, notice the thought, question the thought. And then kind of bring yourself down. So I do do a lot yes. of therapeutic questioning. And I've gotten really good at that now as well because of my background in NLP. But when I am in those anxious states, the tool that I go to the most, especially when I'm having like those – it's very rare, like I said. But if I were to have that like moment where I'm hyperventilating yeah. and I'm feeling disoriented from reality, I will use tapping, emotional freedom techniques. Um, yeah. So there's two different types. There's like the – formal type where you do a full tapping circuit, which is like, are you familiar with tapping? No. Like I'm like, no, I mean, I know what it is, but I've never tried it or had anyone teach anything to me. No, I don't know anything. (laughs) Okay. So I will do a very quick nutshell because if you don't know it, your audience probably doesn't know it. So let's just bring everyone up to speed. So tapping is a technique that you can use. It's based off of, um, energetic meridians in your body. Mm -hmm. So similar to acupuncture, when you're applying a needle to an acupressure point, we're tapping on acupressure points within the body to basically release the stagnant energy or blocked or tense energy. And you think about the mind-body connection, our mind is often creating dysfunction in our body, especially if we're just holding on to everything in here. So- when we tap through the energetic meridians while also bringing voice to the fear, eventually what you'll notice is you can tap through it, release it. And what will happen when you release it is you'll come to a point where you're tapping. So let's say it's, I'm anxious. Yeah. I'm anxious. I'm worried that blah, blah, blah is going to happen. I don't have enough money, whatever. You just tap through all these points. So it's, well, first you start with the karate chop point. Let's mm-hmm. back up. Okay. Karate chop point to activate. So this is so like we start on, with, next to your palm, like between your finger and your... Yeah. Just like you were going to chop some yeah. wood. Hi-ya. <laughs> that part right yeah. there. So this is the activation. So whenever you do a sequence, you're always going to start on the karate chop point and you're going to start with three um, opening statements. These opening statements, I vary them. Sometimes people say the same thing. So it, they're always the same though. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, because we're using the topic of money and anxiety, let's go with anxiety around money. Okay. We'll use that as an example. So even though I, my core wound is always never enough. Like it's never enough money, never pretty enough, yeah. never smart enough. So we'll go with yeah. that. Mine is always so that I'm going to lose everything. <laughs> oh, so it's very similar to yeah. never enough. Yeah. Like it's, you can't just keep it. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I get that. Okay. So Even though I feel like it's never enough money, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Mm. And then you would verbalize that. And then the next one is, even though I don't believe it's never enough money, I deeply and completely love and respect myself. I love that. And then even though I don't believe there's enough money, I deeply and completely love and honor myself. So some people will say just one of those three. I like saying all three because mm. I'm getting all of it. Yes, I love that. And then after you've, after you've con- activated it, you then start at the eyebrow. And then you come to the temple, tapping three to seven times on each point. And then you come to under the eye, under the nose, the chin, and then your collarbone area. And then if you do identify as a female and you're wearing a bra, it would be like where your bra band is on the side of your rib cage. Oh my gosh. And then after that, you come to the top of your head. And so when you're doing those tapping sequences, what you're doing is you would bring voice to the fear first. So it's like, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that it's never going to be enough. 
No matter how hard I work, I feel like my efforts aren't being seen. And if my efforts aren't being seen, then my clients just aren't going to buy from me. And if my clients aren't going to buy from me, then I'm not getting paid. And if I'm not getting paid, then I can't put food on the table for my family. And if I can't put food on the table for my family, then I'm a complete freaking failure. And if I'm a complete freaking failure, then... I'm not loved. So you you spot you can see how that spiraled. Yes. That was pretty pretty um like that wasn't true feelings right now, but you can see how if you bring voice to the fear, you can get to the root. Yes. If you're tapping on that enough times, what you'll notice is eventually you'll kind of empty out where it's like, I don't know what else to say, or you don't even want to focus on the problem anymore. So then you'll tap in the solution. So it might look something like, but I do know other people have felt this way before. And if they have been able to break free, I know I can too. And what would it look like for me to have enough? Yeah. It's like, and you would just keep tapping, tapping until. That's so fascinating because it's, it's like you're dismantling it to get to the core. And then you're like replacing those thoughts with like more productive, positive thoughts. You're like giving yourself a pep talk really. But it's like, yeah, that's really, I've. I don't know why I've not heard. I mean, I've I've not seen it in this full. I've seen people like tap, but I don't know what they're doing. I just look like they're just tapping. Themselves, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I love seeing the whole like breakdown. And I'm curious, like, have, do you feel like people who do not do this work, like who do not do the work to to either work on their anxiety or change their belief system or or rewire their belief system or just address their mindset. Do you feel like people hit a plateau eventually if they don't do that work or like for the entrepreneurs out there who like, I know for me, I'm just going to be completely honest. I am one of those people that will just hustle through it. I will like ignore the problem. Even like it's like me having back pain and then being like, oh, but I need to go to the gym. So I'm just going to like work out with back pain. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the similar the like the the flip side of that would be as a business owner I'm fucking exhausted I'm feeling all of the anxiety and feeling all the things but I've got shit to do so I'm not going to deal with it I'm just going to power through and get my to-do list done do you feel like people that yeah. operate in that way like is there only like so much so far we can go if we don't address these things well I do think we all have our own spiritual assignments and our own mm-hmm. timelines on what we're being called up to but my question for you or that person would be how fulfilled are you in that current iteration of yourself? Mm, yeah. Because if you're just hustling through, you're probably not that fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not fulfilled, then why are you even doing it? What's the point? Something's got to change. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning where we were, before we were recording, you're like, why don't just share your story and talk about marketing, like how this relates to business? And that's, like I said, that's my superpower. Like, yeah. You can do all the strategy. You can do all the marketing. And even if it's profitable, it's not going to be sustainable because you are wherever you go. Yeah. As my mom said, when I didn't want to go to treatment, you are wherever you go. So no geographical cure, mm. no change in your business strategy, no change in your even business brand, whatever it is, yeah. is going to fix you or make you feel completely fulfilled and free until you make yourself feel com- completely fulfilled and free. Yeah, I love that. You also, in my voice memos, said something I wrote down in a notebook. <laughs> and I have it here. You said- What was it? Marketing doesn't work if you are not, if you, yourself, your body, your being are not, is not working. So I was- Ooh, I got to turn that into a I know, I know. And I really, because what we were talking about is like, yeah, we could talk about marketing tips and business tips because like, you know all that, right? Like you are my fucking business yeah. coach. Like I know you know all that shit, <laughs> right? But it's like, but to your point, I do feel like I have felt this recently. Like, I feel like I know all the things. I know so much business strategy. I could write a fucking book. Like, I know so much marketing and messaging tips. The thing I am lacking in personally, fully transparent, is the mindset, the healing. I know there's shit I could really be working on, and I, I really avoid it. I hate it. I hate, I hate <laughs> looking at it. Do you know what I mean? It stresses me out. I still, and I talk about this on the podcast all the time, so people are very aware of this. I'm still one of those people that even though things are good and I can open up my bank account and I should be very pleased with what I see because there's been years of working at that bank account after many years of thinking I was going to be homeless, I bounced back and we did well. <laughs> I still will look at it. And I just told you and be terrified that tomorrow I'm going to lose everything. Like I will still be afraid of yeah. being homeless. And that could really, 
I should really work on that. <laughs> you know? Help you. But I, and I, like, what would life look like if you didn't have to wake up and associate with fear in your business? Oh, God. Imagine how that would feel. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's the thing. Many of us as entrepreneurs are participating in our business from a trauma response without even realizing it yeah. because we're deeply dysregulated in our nervous system. So we pour our energy into our business to show how worthy we are, to show how capable yeah. and loved and validated we are, whatever it might be. And yet, because we're not actually fulfilling the need for that love, validation, security, whatever it is from our sense of self, but instead something external, we're still deeply unfulfilled and dysfunctional in our own unique way. Yes. And actually, something I want to ask you, are there signs that we are doing that? Like, like one, the thing that for me comes is like the overwork thing where it's like, I can never turn off. Like, are there signs that we can share with people so we can understand if, oh shit, Maybe there's like something. Yeah. Um, so the signs are going to be unique to every single person. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about entrepreneurs, I would find overworking is one of them for sure. That's definitely mine. So feeling of burnt out or feeling like you can never turn off, even if you want to turn off or you've created the space to turn off, but then you sit down and you're like, oh, you know what? I have 30 minutes uh, instead of meditating or instead of reading a book, instead of sitting outside, instead of going for a walk, I'm going to go create a piece of content. This is me. That's definitely me. <laughs> um, so turning so off, having trouble turning off. Um, people pleasing. Oh shit. So if people are coming at you for business opportunities or requests and you're like, Ooh, I really want to say no, but you end up saying yes. Um, on the flip side, people pleasing is seeking validation. So, you know, wanting to be the star of the show in your industry, fawning over those leaders who you really want to get close to, et cetera. That's another sign. But the biggest one that would be appropriate to every single person, but you really need your own intuition to say yes or no to that is a misalignment in values. So are you really living the life that you want? And this is interesting because I think we fall into this consistently over time where, you know, life's really good. You feel like you have that fulfillment and freedom and then life, something happens where it's not. That's your subconscious. It's it's the upper limit. That's totally normal. We can fix that. But you have to be able to accept and notice what are your patterns, what are your behaviors, and are they fully living up to what it is that you want? I actually had this revelation. You said you're at a plateau. I am too. I had this revelation this weekend because I finally allowed myself to play for the first time in a long time. Daniel and I had our first um, weekend away from Nate. He just turned three. We just had our first weekend away. And we so desperately needed to just play Mm -hmm. and be not parents, (laughs) you know? And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I just realized where I was keeping myself small in business. And that was that I started looking at all the things I had to do in my business in order to make sure that the bills were getting paid, in order to make sure that my clients were happy, et cetera, instead of remembering why the F I did this and how grateful I am. Like I got into business so that I can have the freedom to take a maternity leave in the way that I want to, to retire my husband, even though it didn't work out the way we expected it, to be able to take midweek trips, to be able to take the vacations we want to take, to be able to have three-day work weeks, to work when I want with an uncapped salary. Those things are luxuries that most people in a traditional corporate role do not have. And I completely took all that for granted and was focusing on what wasn't working well or what I wasn't doing good enough Yeah. instead. And so when I realized that, I was like, oh my God, I just, you know, come to Jesus moment, come back to life. You have it so good. Even though you're not where you want to be yet, you have it so good. So keep going and commit to your work. This is just a calling for you to go a little bit deeper. So if there's any inkling of like, I could be doing better, I want something different, but I don't know how or what that is. That's your sign that there's something for you to look at. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I also feel like like what I'm hearing from you, I mean, it's so crazy. I just did a, pot, a solo episode on that actually. And I'm not even like saying this is what you should do because I don't feel like I can say it the way you can because you've done all the work on it. But I've just been very, I just was transparently talking about how I felt very unmotivated and uninspired. And like, I didn't really feel like I wanted to show up for work for a little bit. And like, 
and I almost took like 30 days off. And um, I mean, it was more like 20, but, but whatever, way more than I ever have before, because like, I don't do any of that. I don't, I don't take advantage of the freedom or the play or the joy that I'm supposed to have as a business owner. Right. And that was really eye opening for me. And it sounds like what you're saying, and this is kind of what I was finding too. It's like, you can live like if the if if you want if you got into business for to create freedom in your life like before you get to that point of oh i'm successful so now i can have freedom like you can experience freedom on the way too and it sounds yes. like it's really about like creating those experiences so that you are embodying that and that in itself yes. is going to really help you show up. Well, I was going to say, well, that is the road to freedom is yeah. by feeling those feelings now, yes. right? Like the active manifestation is not, oh, I'll be wealthy when I have the money or yeah. I'll be happy when I have the happiness. I'll have the body when I have the body. It's no. Who would you be at that level and how can you do those things? How can you think like that person? How can you act like that person now yeah. so that you actually become that version of you? Yeah, That's so beautiful. You talked about something on Instagram recently that I just made a note of because I was like, ooh, this is interesting. And I like didn't know if it was going to come up, but it feels like that's kind of what we're navigating around. You talked about identity hours and work hours. Mm. Is that kind of like in this realm? Yes. Talk to us about that. I'm so happy you asked me about this because I still want to do a live video on it and I haven't done it yet. Um, (laughs) I wanted wanted to uh, like expand on that post. Yeah. So basically... I've noticed that, especially when you're coming to scaling your business, so it's not about just making your first few sales anymore. It's like you, you're you building a team, you're really scaling your client offers, your experience, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you need to be working on yourself more than you actually have to be on your business. Yeah. Because the amount of leadership it takes to run a business in that way, to guide a team, to guide yourself, and to really connect with your clients deeply so that they understand if this is a service-based business, of course, um, connect with your clients deeply enough that they're having a positive experience and would want to continue to renew with you. That takes a lot of leadership skills. It takes a lot of communication. It takes a lot of like deep relationship building. And that all has to do with who are you? Mm -hmm. If you're not looking at yourself, you can't really do those things. It's hard to delegate. It's hard to communicate. It's hard to have conflict resolution. Um, and you, you got to do that. You just got to do that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That was really eye opening to see that post. Like, it's like, I know it in my brain, the logic side of my brain is like, of course this is what is missing. Right. Cause I don't do any of that. (laughs) I don't think I don't work (laughs) on myself at all. (laughs) It's, it's funny. I try to do it almost like on the go. I feel like I'm a lazy, I'm lazy at this, right? It's very much like, like, I I mean, this is how I approach everything in my life. Like when it's time to rest, I will put on a TV show, but then check emails and say, and and say I'm multitasking my rest. (laughs) There's that overworking. There's the overworking. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, no, I'm resting and working. You can totally do that. I I, like, I (laughs) I talk myself into thinking you can multitask this stuff, but I feel like there's some (laughs) things you just cannot multitask and rest is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I agree with you. <laughs> but it's like, so even the self-work, like what I'll do is like, okay, I will walk the dogs and like think happy thoughts. <laughs> like, check self-work. But that's, is that a good that, thing to that, do? That counts. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That counts. Okay. You're you're at least, you know, you're turned off. Yeah. You're walking. That's totally fine. Okay. Just don't listen to my podcast so. while I do it then. Like don't do all the things. Yeah. That's what I call um layer or what my mentor, one of my mentors calls layering time because- oh, I love that. You only have so much time a day, yeah. especially when you're a mom. So if you're going for a walk and you're listening to a podcast, totally fine. Yes. I get my podcast and my audiobooks in when I'm dropping Nate off to him from yeah. school now. Like otherwise I'm not reading a book. That's the only time. And yeah. it's- not necessarily multitasking. It's just what tasks can you do that are actually complimentary? Yeah. Like relaxing in the bathtub and opening emails. I mean, I do do that sometimes because it feels expansive for me to be able to talk to my clients while I'm in the bath, but it's, it's not relaxing. Yeah. It's, it's, they're kind of counterproductive, but if you're in the bath while listening to a hypnosis, mm-hmm. then that makes total sense to pair the, that together. Yes. Okay. I love that. Layering time. I haven't heard about that actually, but I love that like I'm doing it wrong because I'm pairing two opposite – things with opposite intentions. I'm layering the rest and the work instead <laughs> of like two recharge recharging tasks, 
right? Like yes. to, okay. Yes. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. That's just, this is why I'm not rested. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. I have one more question before we wrap things up for people. Um, you know, everyone, so coaches listen to this. I think you know that we both work with coaches, right? And, yes. and we, this podcast is totally called Marketing Unfiltered. So we are always talking about like that business growth thing, that thing that just like really made the difference in our business. And I'm just so curious with you, it because you do so much healing transformative mindset work, and then you also are a very strategic person. Could mm-hmm. Are you able to look back at the point where, because I, I think you told me in our coaching that there was a year where it's like things really exploded for you. Like you doubled your yeah. income, maybe it was tripled. I remember it being like really explosive. If you were yeah. to look back on that year, do you can you remember what was the thing that was the most impactful for you? Was it the healing transformational side of things? Was it a business strategy of some kind? Was it a combination? I'm just curious if you could like trace your steps and so, think about that. Yeah. I'm it twofold. So yes, it was a combination. So that like triple income year was on the tail end of being a part of two masterminds. Mm. One of them was very business strategy focused. The other one was all trauma healing, spiritual retreat type of focus. So I really do believe in the combination, especially because I enrolled in the spiritual retreat one first. And it was supposed to be like for spiritual entrepreneurs. So there was supposed to be business support in there, but it was really fluffy business support. And I wasn't getting what I needed. I was like, I need to learn how to market. Mm. Like this is not... It's good, but it's not helping me on that front. So when I saw our shared mentors offering a mastermind, I was like, I am in, let's do this. (laughs) So I really think it was the combination of the two, um, pairing the masculine with the the feminine, the strategy with the intuition. But then I also do think it's more than the strategy and mindset stuff. I do think there's that part of like just trusting your gut on whatever's calling you. Because that year that skyrocketed, it was my certification that made me get to that point. Mm. Like things just started blowing up. Everyone was coming into the certification. And when I look back at that, I had the vision for the certification before I even was a trainer in NLP. Wow. So I was like, how cool would it be if I could create this certification program where people can learn these tools to actually change your life, but go through it from a place of changing themselves first. Mm -hmm. And then as a result, they're then qualified and experienced to do the same for others. But then we also create that immersive experience because that's what really creates the breakthrough. But they also need to know marketing. So let's throw that in there too. (laughs) And so I had this vision. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And so I was enrolled for my master practitioner certification when I was starting to pre-sell it. So I wasn't even a trainer yet. Wow. And then that like same time, that month or week, I got an email from my trainer saying that they're offering a trainer's training in the coming year and like sign up now, you'll get the best rate. And I was like, oh, frick, I just told my husband I'm not going to invest any more money. (laughs) (laughs) I just invested like way more than I ever thought I would. And here we are. Hey, babe, I want to sign up for another program or certification. And I was like, no, like I need to. He's not going to understand this, but I, I need to sign up. And so I did my master practitioner level and my trainer trainer back to back. I was in my third trimester of pregnancy and I did six weeks of intense training while pre-selling the certification oh and creating all the modules for it. I don't know what, how I did it, wow. but it's because I was so driven by that, like go do that next step. And so I did that next step. And was this next step like something that you just like, where did it come to you? Were you like, was like a journaling thing? Did it just like, come to you? Is it meditation? Like, where did the, like, this is such, cause I do feel like there's something for me right now that I like, I really yeah. see is like something to do down the line, but I keep feeling like it's not the right time. And that could be inner knowing, or that could be me making excuses, but I'm just curious, like for yeah. you, like, how was it so strong for you? How was it manifesting for you? Um, It came through in a journal and that journal came through because I was so deeply frustrated with my results. Uh I had hit a point in business where, again, like I said, I was doing the boss babe number stuff and all of a sudden my business wasn't aligned to me anymore. So I was just signing the wrong clients. Like they were paying me tons of money when they weren't really qualified to be paying that type of money. They weren't in that level of business. So I wasn't qualifying my clients properly. People were backing out of contracts. 
Just wow. things were not working. Yeah. And I got so frustrated where I was like, what the hell is going on here? So I took about a 30 days off of business. I sat with my textbook, my NLP book in my lap every day and just was going through my own limiting beliefs, like reprogramming myself, like facilitating the techniques on myself. And that's when I really became a product of the product. As I did, my energy changed, my mindset changed, opportunities started coming to me. And in that time, that's when I wrote the journal. And then it was about six to nine months after when the actual opportunity of becoming a trainer presented itself. Oh my gosh. That's really fascinating. Did your husband end up being understanding and was like, okay, I'm on the same page? Or did you have to like pull a fast one and be like, too late now? (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't remember. It might have been a fast one. (laughs) But honestly, Daniel's so supportive. He will, even if he doesn't agree with the investment, it's not like I have to ask for yeah, permission. Yeah, that's how my like, husband is too. It's not like he'll let me because yeah. there's no letting me. Of course. It's, I get to do what I want. Yeah. But he, I do have to take him into consideration because our money is shared. Yes. And he'll just kind of give me a little warning sign like, hey, Rachel, are you sure you should be investing in this right now? Yep. And sometimes he's right. Sometimes he's not. Uh-huh. That's like how we are too. I have to give him a little heads up. Like, by the way, this is the thing I'm considering and I'm just letting you know. <laughs> might be a charge. Yeah. But yeah, it's the same for him. It's like, sometimes he's like, really? Like I completely disagree. And sometimes, I mean, he is the most supportive partner. I got so lucky with my partner. So it's like no complaints whatsoever, but it's, it's so interesting, this conversation around money and partners, because a lot of people don't have that experience with their relationships. So, um, Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I'm so glad that you did what you needed to do because, like you've impacted so many people's lives and such incredible work. I'm honestly feel like even though I, it's not like we coached together for a short time through a program now, a couple years ago, and it's not like we know each other that well, but I still feel like so proud of the work that you did because I just feel like you really did the thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like thinking about it. It was like from the time you were yeah. 19, you really like did the thing that was needed in that moment. And I just think that's really bold and courageous. So I'm just so grateful you came on the podcast. And I feel like I'm so grateful you had me. Oh my gosh. I've actually been thinking about having you for a while and I just kept forgetting to send you the voice memo. So I'm so glad that we did this. (laughs) Um, We have, there's so much more to learn from you though. Like, like I said, we talked about a very specific topic today, but I did work with you in coaching. You know, so much more. Where can we (laughs) learn from you? Tell us all the things. <laughs> all the things. Okay. So I'm in an, emer- an emergence. I'm like rebirthing a million different things. So my main profile and where you can find me the most is at the or at the Rachel joy one, number one on Instagram or the rachel which is like my main hub for everything. Um, but as you've heard me talk about my certification, which is Total Recovery Practitioner at Total Recovery Practitioner for all things coaching skills, trauma-informed coaching, and transformational change. Uh, But then my new business baby or sister brand of Rachel Joy is House of Joy, which I am quoting as of this weekend when I was away. It came through fully. Um, The Life and Success Coaching Hub for Parents. So it's to create your very own house of joy so that, you know- our kids hopefully one day don't have to do any of this healing work because they have <laughs> parents who are stopping intergenerational trauma and unserving behaviors and patterns in its tracks. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm creating a like a membership community type of thing for parents to learn communication, conflict resolution, um, parenting tips and tricks, but then also all other things life related yeah. that parents need to know, like career, money mindset, marriage, all those things. So. I'm really excited about that. Haven't actually created that yet, but it's coming in the next few months. I'm really excited. Oh my gosh. And it is so genius. Like I love it down to the name of it, House of Joy. It's like like chef kiss perfect. I'm obsessed with it. And I, th- I think <laughs> you also have a – you have a gift for people, don't you? I do. So I when you asked me before, yeah. like what is it going to be, I was like, oh, I don't know because everything's always different based off of um, – the conversation yeah. that we have. So there's two that are coming to mind. So one is already free and that's a training for you of how to create a larger impact in your coaching practice without the burnout. 
We've talked about burnout, so that makes sense. Perfect. But there's also a paid offer that I'm going to gift to you for free, and that is my nervous system regulation toolkit. So inside of there, there's three nervous system regulation practices that you can do to support yourself in regulating your nervous system. If you're anxious, if you're not feeling happy or content in some way, you're likely dysregulated in some way. Uh, So there's three uh, practices in there, all under five minutes or less that you can use and implement in your daily life too enter a place of harmony. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to like literally dive into both of these things. <laughs> I'm going to put those links in the show notes, all of them, including her Instagram and her website and House of Joy and all the good stuff. And like I said, it's been a while, but like per usual, I just always remember having a call with you and like feeling so at peace after our calls. And I just feel like I got that again today and I'm really grateful for you. Me too. It was so fun to just hang out and talk. Like you said, the word that came for you was peace. For me, it was like just a natural flow. Yeah. Like it was just so fun to hang out and talk to you. Oh, so good. I love that. Well, thank you for coming. And I, you know, we'll, we're going to have you back to talk about business strategy and all the other shit you're a genius at. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back because you made it to the end, which means you gave yourself and your business some time today. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know your support is what makes it possible for us to keep making it. So it would make my day if you gave us a five-star rating and review. I also want to make sure this podcast actually answers your marketing questions, like for real, for real. So if you're a coach and you've got a marketing question that's keeping you stuck, just DM it to me over at Sophia Para on Instagram. Or if you're in the United States, you can text it to my personal number at 917-810-2418. That way I can share resources or create a future episode just for you. See you on the next one.